I saw like a lot of people worried about recruits like leaving or like, you know, being at this Oregon loss and being like, oh, whatever. I'm like, could you imagine being at that game and then not wanting to be a part of that rivalry afterwards? Like, no matter what team you're on. I was like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. They probably left like buzzing, dude. They was like, yeah. they probably went and played like two hand touch in some park after that. <laughs> well, and I talked to, so Dante Dowdle, um, four star running back that's committed to Oregon. I've been talking to his dad. Um, and I asked a few questions out because they were here at this game too. I asked them a few questions and one of them was, you know, does it matter at all for recruits that this was a loss, that Oregon lost to the rivals? Welcome to the Flock Pod. We are at hashtag 132 here in beautiful Chopper Base. The Avatarier producers are sleeping away. They have been amply tired out by running around in this beautiful sunshine that we have outside. If you'd be so kind, please go find us at the Flock Pod on all of your major podcast streaming platforms, in particular the Apple iTunes and Spotify. Please click that subscribe button. Give us the five-star ratings. Write a review if you want to get your review read here on the podcast. Also, please go find us on all of your major social media platforms at the Flock Pod. <laughs> Whoa. Wow. The flock pod. Wow. I just had like a total moment right there at the flock pod. You can find me at Coach Justin D on those same social media platforms. Shay, tell them where you are. You can find me at Bartender Shane Six. <laughs> find me at Bartender Shane Six on Twitter and at Walk the Flock of Shane Six on the Instagram. I'm wow. sure that's the last I'll ever hear that. So no big deal yeah, whatsoever. That's crazy. Um, <laughs> uh also are we reading any review that is posted no only five star reviews only okay. five star positive so if they put reviews. five stars though whatever they write no well, matter I mean, what with some city. discretion here with okay. some discretion yeah a little <laughs> bit of discretion and we are of course joined by our third duck migo mr duckswire himself zachary neal zach how we doing sir this one is off the rails already. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what we did this morning, but this one got weird quickly. It feels pretty fitting for the, <laughs> the game and the week that we're going to be covering here. So, yeah, here we are. All right. Lots to get to today. Um, we are, of course, covering the loss in Otson on Saturday to the Huskies. Uh, we'll talk about some uh, some injury update, little recruiting check-in. We'll talk about our big game coming up against Utah this weekend. A little Pac-12 football, just kind of zoom out, look at the, the landscape a little bit. And then a little bit of round ball talk before we get into Duck Generate Corner. All right, gentlemen, obviously brutal week here. Uh, it's kind of like a memoriam, I almost feel like here. You know, anytime you lose to the Huskies. Uh, the Ducks come up short, 37 to 34, against that team from Seattle Saturday evening. Shane, let's throw it to you first. As always, I like to get the bar experience. Tell me a little bit about what the vibe was like pregame, if you will, and then kind of how how the the viewing experience went down there at Scribbles this week. Uh, the the vibe pregame was weird. It was very very weird, very aggressive. Uh, games like this are always kind of. Uh, intense for the service industry especially with this one being like a four o'clock kickoff it's like that perfect amount of time for people to get out and about and do things 
earlier in the year, the UCLA game was a little bit earlier, so it didn't really give people a chance to kind of get around town, especially a lot of people traveling to town for the game. little piece of advice for anybody out there. If you ever travel somewhere for anything, really, some sort of event, and you're there for that event, it doesn't change the construct of time and how long things take. And it actually doesn't change the reality of all the people who live in the town and are just trying to like get through their day. So yeah, just in, just in case you ever find yourself in a situation, you're like, but I'm here for the game. It's like, okie dokie. You know what I mean? So just, just throwing that out there, but yeah. Uh, so it got really busy before the game. Uh, a lot of people going out to eat and stuff before they go out to go tailgate and whatnot and getting the drinking started. So uh, it was really busy, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of hate, like a lot of people saying the word hate, I uh, hate the Huskies. They hate us like bloodbath war, blah, blah, blah. So it like created this, like, I don't know if it was just the way I was feeling that day, but like really uh, like intense day. Actually, somebody had a stuffed Husky on a noose at one point in the restaurant. And I was like, that's crazy man that's crazy that you're like out in public with this like and then you like spent money on this stuff but uh yeah wild but then it all completely dead for the entire game so i got basically got to sit there and watch this entire game so uh that was cool and boy boy what a game was it and i'm sure we'll we'll get to all that right now here because i mean it was it, it, it was everything i mean it was like it was popcorn football i felt mm-hmm. like it was it that's had a great way to describe it it had just like a little bit of everything, just all the way down to the, like the end and the injury and Ty Thompson and questionable calls. <laughs> and I mean, late interceptions, everybody thinks that, you know, the game is over basically in that last drive when Oregon goes all the way down the field. It was just, it was like a movie and like rewatching it today. I felt that like exact same way where it was like, it was very, very cinematic. Yeah, no, I think that's a great way to put it. All right, Zach, throw it over to here now to you. From the press box, what was the vibe like kind of pregame? And then what was the viewing experience like? Well, just to go off of what Shane was saying there, that's kind of my thought at the end of this game. It's like I had one of those moments where like take out, you know, who you're, you know, I'm not supposed to be rooting for anyone while while watching or anything, but like take out the fandom or anything. Like I had a moment where I was like, I can't believe I'm getting paid to like do this. So, like, this is my job that I'm like watching this football game. Like these are, those are just the moments where you just, you have so much fun. You appreciate what you're doing. Uh, but this one, it felt it definitely had a big vibe going into it. Not quite the UCLA game level because of game day and all of that, but you knew that this was an important game. You were, I was walking from my car to the press box and kind of walking through the tailgates and through the fans and stuff. And, you know, there's just a certain energy about everyone that, you know, this was Oregon. was going to, I felt that fans felt that Oregon was going to establish some dominance and really get this rivalry between Dan Lanning and Kalen DeBoer off on the right foot for the ducks. Um, obviously that didn't happen, but uh, just overall. Yeah. Like Shane was saying, this was just, it was just such a fun game um, regardless of the outcome. Obviously I think we all agree that we wish it, it came out a different way, but there were so many things that happened. So I don't even know where to start this game because like, there's so many things to talk about, talk about the defense, talk about injuries, talk about play calling, talk about aggressiveness. I mean, it's just, it was jam packed full. I know that this is, I don't know what our record is for longest podcast, but I'm sure we're probably going to be pushing it with this one. <laughs> I felt that way too. I have my yep. most notes by far yep. for the yep. season. Like yeah, I'm like, I, think... I normally do two pages. This was a four pager. I mean, it even like, 
it, it had like <laughs> like comedic elements to it and like these huge mistakes and everything it was just it was so grand it was like and it just I mean, even going back and just like rewatching the first half, it took me twice as long to watch when I, on the rewatch just because I was replaying so many times and was like, oh, man, was this the turning point? Was this the turning point? Like I had that thought over and over again. Yeah. So for me, <clears throat> we actually went to the game. We we're sitting in the end zone and had the chance to actually take uh, Miga's sister to her first game at Otson. So that was really fun just to Jesus. have her in the environment. Yeah. What a game, right? To go to your right. first game. Uh, and then, of course, pregame met up with my niece and nephew that were both there. And the, the shit talking started immediately from my nephew. And he made a point that made me really kind of nervous before the game, and which actually ended up coming out to be true. But it feel I mean, my take away the, the, the 70 to 21 debacle. But it feels like any time that one of these teams is ranked in like the 20s, and the other ones in like a top 10 position, they just come in to ruin the party. You know, it's just, they just ruin the party for the other team and it just takes that rivalry to a whole nother level. And you definitely saw that on the field today. I mean, this was a physical football game. I mean, Dan Lanning even mentioned last night in the press conference, how they just, they come up, came out pretty, you know, beat up in this game, you know, just level, level, I mean, Forsyth shoulder, you know, and everything else that was going on. But on my, I got to rewatch the fourth quarter here today and I just was okay. I hate the color purple. It makes me like angry, like when a bull sees red, but it was a beautiful game. Like just the, the two uniforms, the field, the, the night that it was on Saturday being so clear, uh, Otzen just at pure, I mean, again, not peak performance for sure from an Otzen stadium crowd, but it was lively and it was, there was some, some real vitriol being thrown around there for sure. We were surrounded by Husky fans, even in our seats. So we were getting it from all angles. Um, so it was, it was, yeah, it was an intense game. So yeah, let's, let's jump into it here. Let's get, let's get to some takeaways. Um, and I guess I'll kick it off this. This way I, I sent you guys you know a text you know before this even got started you know this was just I hate losing you know and obviously I, I'm not on the team but we're using the we here I'm not a you know an actual reporter I can do that but it was a great football game just a great fucking football game and you guys already talked about it you know cinematic popcorn I mean you could throw all kinds of different things on there to kind of talk about what kind of game it was but let's get into a little bit of takeaways now here so Zach as you look back on this one what is your main takeaway what's the main thing you take from this game moving forward the we have to stop making excuses for this defense I think we've been doing it for weeks now that we we knew that they weren't as good as we thought they'd be coming into the year. There was a lot of garbage time stats and, and stuff. I mean, you know, we just made a lot of excuses. It was like, oh, no, they're they're better than the numbers show. But time and again, we saw them against, you know, lesser teams kind of giving up more yardage and more points than they should have. And it really came back to bite them this week. I mean, all credit to Washington. They've got a great offense. We knew that it was going to be a problem. I mean, they had the number one passing offense coming into this game. I mean, they've got a future NFL quarterback in Michael Penix. And I, I mean, I was concerned about that was definitely, I think all of our number one concern going into this game. And it proved to be, you know, there's a reason it was our number one concern. And we saw lapses in coverages. We saw, you know, way too much cushion from quarterbacks and from safeties. And, uh, and we saw a ton of great play from Michael Penix and, and the Huskies wide receiving crew. Um, we saw a couple of questionable calls. I know we can get into those later, but I still have no idea after watching the replay how they called that first half reception, uh, a Washington reception when Christian Gonzalez went up, got the interception, got a 
taken away from him on the ground. If anything, that's an incompletion or an Oregon interception. I don't, I don't know how they came up with the a Washington reception, but Pac-12 um, conference put that up on their Instagram talking yeah. about what a great catch it was. Like Pac-12, like just Pac-12ing as hard as they possibly can. Yeah. And but yeah, my my major takeaway is just this. I I don't know if it's the coaching that needs to get better or if it's the players that need to get better, but it's a I'm sure it's a mixture of both. But we came into this year thinking that Dan Lanning and Tosh Lapoy were these defensive masterminds. And I'm not ready to say that they're not, but I'm just curious, is it is it that they need their own recruits and they need their own type of players to fit into this defense to make it work? Because whatever it is they're doing now is not working and it's not clicking. So um, that's just it's a question that we're going to have all offseason because I'm sure this team's going to be aggressive in the transfer portal uh, trying to shore things up because they're losing a lot of talent in that secondary. They're losing most of their safety position this offseason and their number one cornerback in Christian Gonzalez. So um, that's it's going to be that's going to be the talk of the town this offseason is how does this defense get better? I have so much I want to add to that, but I want to throw it to you for Shane, just to get your main takeaway, and then we can kind of go wax poetic a little bit more here. So again, as you look back at this game, what, what's the main thing you're taking away? Uh, I would say, I think it's interesting earlier. Well, actually, no, you didn't mention that on the podcast yet, so I'm going to not say that. But, uh, um, I, I actually really liked what the coaching staff, the offensive coaching staff, and like kind of Dan Landing and how this game was approached as a whole, how it was adjusted at halftime. Um, Cause I thought Washington came out and coached the game. Perfect. The first quarter, they just completely kept Oregon's offense off the field, which, I mean, they were basically juicing the clock in the first quarter. I mean, they were letting the play clock run all the way down. They were making adjustments. They were seeing how Oregon was going to adjust to their adjustments. And Michael Penix was just taking, sorry, Michael Penix was taking in all this information and he was assessing it and he was storing it for later. And then on top of that, he was playing absolutely out of his mind. I mean, yeah. Zach talked about him being an NFL quarterback, but he was also having his best game when we already knew he was going to be an NFL quarterback. I think this was his best NCAA performance going back to all those games in Indiana. And I really liked watching him play back then too. It was, it was almost like Peyton Manning esque the way that he was like predetermining things before the snap and then just making these quick decisions and then throwing these incredibly accurate passes because I know that Bennett Williams has been taking a lot of shit for his performance on Saturday. And I know that he would say that he needed to play better. And it's unfortunate that some of these big plays were on him and he did kind of get burned, but I don't really think that that was where the game was lost. And I don't even think that was the worst part of how the secondary played on Saturday was these massive, you know, bombs where Penix is throwing these, just like these lasers down the field. And I mean, just incredibly impressive performance. But it was all that underneath stuff where he was just sitting there and just methodically going down the field. And it just it kept the rhythm of the game off. But then at halftime, something did change and Oregon started to run the ball a little bit more effective. They got a little bit more creative with play calling and then they kind of did their own version of what Washington did in the first half. And then they were using the screen game to effectively move the ball. And they were really eating a lot of clock and keeping Washington off the field and that's why I kind of had the thought where it was like, okay, both of these coaches are essentially playing keep away. So this is going to come down to the very end. And I thought whoever had the ball last was going to win. I was off, but only by a smidgen about not as close as you could be. Yeah. Not by much at all. So yeah, I, I have 
Wow, there, there's so much to get to when you look back at a game like this, like we've already talked about. But I, I want to focus and just give all kinds of roses and flowers to that Oregon offensive line and just the absolute war that they took place and and won for the most part um, during that game and really kept Oregon in this game. <clears throat> it was their dominance that allowed this team. I mean, if you would have told me that we were going to rush, we would have had 40 carries between Bucky and Noah and they'd go for over 200 yards plus and that they would lose. I would have over 250 plus. Yeah. I would have told you to eat my hat. Like there's just no way that that's even possible. So it's just, it was one of those games. Like you said, it was like a movie, you know, all of these incredible performances, all of these um, incredible moments, you know, when you look back at this game, like you mentioned the interception, you know, that last one where Bennett Williams gets burned, you know, on the, when they go up 37, 34, when it's no, when they taught, when they go 30, it's oh, 34, 27 when yeah. Bennett Williams mm-hmm. gets burned. Yeah. And then he ties the game with it. Mm-hmm. Um, he intercepts that ball on eight of 10, or we'll say 10 of 12 pack 12 quarterbacks. You know, that ball mm-hmm. was just thrown as like, um, I mean, Brock Crewwood was on it. I got to give him credit there on the, I hate listening to those guys, but that was one thing he was on. I mean, that ball was an absolute dime and an absolute laser thrown in the exact place it needed to. And I think there's, there's a lot of things that go into the secondary's performance. I think they're coached to be very aggressive. And I think that that aggressiveness bites them at times, certainly. And we saw that, you know, in particular plays today, but in other situations, it does come up big. So it's this, and that's why I said, you know, in the rundown, you know, Ducks defense breaks because it really has been a bend, don't break defense all season long. And in this one, they just gave up too many big plays to really get over. So uh, let's, I mean, you kind of referenced it a little bit here, Zach. Let's talk a little bit about some of these big penalties because uh, there, there were big moments that took place here. So what was, what was the main penalty you guys think that impacted the game? I mean, the one for me is the the last one of the game where they called that illegal touching on Troy yep. mm-hmm. um, because if he, I mean, great throw, great catch. Mm-hmm. It is exactly what you needed them to do. They had, I think they had six seconds left going into that play Beautiful. and he catches it and gets out of bound with, I believe one second left and it mm-hmm. gets them the, the 12 to 15 yards to get into field goal range. And it was perfect. But then they call legal touching because he stepped on the sideline. I still, I know we didn't have a good replay of it. I still believe he was forced out, which if he's forced out, then he can be the first one to touch it. But what I was told was you can review whether or not he stepped out, but you can't review whether or not he was forced out. So, mm-hmm. you know, logistics and semantics and that. But um, yeah, that was, that was a really painful one because they did it. They, Bo Nix, Injured and all, did what he needed to do to get that team in a field goal range to tie the game. And that just, that one, it's a game of inches. And that one inch on the sideline uh, cost him in that in that aspect. So, and not that it's like, not it's like it's the craziest call ever, but like right before that play, I was like, Troy Funkin, you got to go right at the sideline, hope to go cover two and just sneak it by him. I mean, yep. everybody kind of knew it was coming, I guess, well, except for Washington. Davis. But I mean, he still had to throw that ball in a, in a tight window and the timing had to be perfect there. I didn't think that he pushed him out, honestly. I know this is going to be an unpopular opinion, but he kind of puts his hand out there. He definitely touches him for sure. He extends, yeah. But on the broadcast, because I, I mean, this is a rule that I'm not super versed in. On the broadcast, they were saying that it has to be like apparent that he sh- that he's the reason he goes out of bounds, and he doesn't even really look at him. He's just kind of like feeling around behind him, 
And I mean, it, it just sucks because why that rule is put in place doesn't affect that situation because it's not like he really went out of bounds. His foot touched out of bounds. I'm not even convinced he was out of bounds. I, yeah, I would well, like to see a better replay, but yeah, I mean, they only had the one looking at the sideline and not down the sideline because yeah. I don't have any idea why it's 2022. There should be cameras <laughs> from like, like the matrix Fox. or it just goes all the way around. Yeah. It's fun. Well, it's just like, we've had our gripes with pac 12 refs and there's always something. I was like, this is the penalty that you, I mean, you miss a million calls per game. This is the one you choose to throw the flag on. It's like this tiny little, it's just, I was having Stanford flashbacks all over. Again, exactly. It was, exactly. it was horrifying. Well, and then also they were like, and then he has to reestablish position inside become an eligible receiver. And that's the part where I was confused. Cause I was like, at what point did he not do that? Yeah, because mm-hmm. exactly. he was out of bounds for a f- microsecond. His heel just basically touches on the line from what I could tell. And then his right, like the part of his body that was out of bounds never really went out of bounds because he was like all his momentum was coming back in. Well, and then he took a couple of steps, if I'm not wrong, inbounds. Oh, 100%. Finishing out the route and catching the ball and getting two yeah. feet in. It's like, all right, what? how do you reestablish yourself if that's not reestablishing yourself? Yeah, yeah, do you have to like Michael Scott like declare bankruptcy? Like, <laughs> I am back. I'm back in, in rep. Hey, I'm back in. I sir am in bounds. Excuse me, Mr. Zebra, sir. I am back in bounds. Ask his no. permission. Yeah, I mean, I think that has to be the penalty. I mean, that was such that that ruined the movie. Like if that if this mm-hmm. was a movie and that's how it ended, people would be throwing popcorn at the screen, being like, What? What are you doing? Blah blah. But it is. It's just it's Pac-12 refs, Pac-12 being as hard as they possibly can, feeling like they have to be the stars of the show. And it's just it's a it's a terrible call to have to make in that moment. Just let the players play. You know what I mean? Just let the players on the field figure it out. One other one that, you know, a penalty that didn't get called, but could have absolutely swung the game as well as if you go by the letter of the law the hit that knocked bo nicks out of the game was targeting yes i mean it's mm-hmm. the the defender lowered his helmet hit the crown of his helmet on on nicks's knee slash leg that should have been 15 yards ejection first down touchdown really um because they were shoot they were inside the 10 i believe they're on the eight or something like that at that point so uh, i'm not sure i'd have to go back and look but they were no. they were close in yeah the i mean they're zone. in they were in the they were in the red zone, but I don't know if it was as far down as the eight. Um, well, and I think there was a play earlier in that twenty play drive where Bonix runs up the middle, and you see him fall, and then you see kind of like just O lineman and D lineman kind of fall all around him, and mm-hmm. one of the Huskies kind of falls on his back, but it doesn't look like he was pushed or. I mean, it was well after he was down very questionable that a flag wasn't called there. But then if you watch Bo get up, I'm almost curious if that's where he initially kind of hurt himself because you see him kind of get up really gingerly on that leg. They zoom in on his face and he, you know, when you hurt yourself, you kind of do that, that kind of like blow, like, okay, I'm all right, but man, that didn't feel right. He definitely does that and kind of walks off there. So I think that's, that's a play that I should have recorded, but that, that was something I'm not sure what have we t- actually heard what his actual injury is no. yet. So we have no <laughs> my idea. Leg hurts. We have not. My leg hurts. Yeah. <laughs> it actually, I just looked it up. That play was on the eight because it was third oh, and was five really? on the UW 10 keeper okay. of two yards. Okay. Yeah. Well, and that was just an incredible, I don't know if this was a coaching thing from the Huskies, but that safety sniffed out that play from the get go. I mean, they talked about it. He, he plays off. And then as soon as the ball is snapped, he's already coming down the line to get Bo. So that's, if that's coaching, you know, got to give credit where credit is due. If that's just a player making a play again, well done. The scariest. Go ahead. 
All right. I had a couple of I had a couple of fans reach out to me on Twitter after the game being like, why are you putting your quarterback in that situation where you're gonna let him get hit on them? It's like, stop that. This is gonna <laughs> you don't you don't plan for injuries. You don't stop plan that that your quarterback's gonna get hit and hurt in that situation. And mm-hmm. 99% of the time he doesn't get hurt. Yep. And it's fourth and two, and they're going for it. And they're mm-hmm. probably gonna get it because they're a really good fourth down team. So I that's just one thing that I've seen a little bit online. And it's like, that's not the mentality yeah. you can have there. If you do it against Colorado, you do it against Washington. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's that's insanity. If you're ever going to have Bitbonix get hit, it was last Saturday. Mm-hmm. But uh, back to Justin's point. Um, oh, with the coaching, uh, that the scariest part of this game was that this is the Washington team that we have in the future now. It's like this super smart, well-coached, team that was like did i thought everything right to expose all oregon's weaknesses i mean just just with the whole way that the game was was put together and even just coming down to it where dan landing really showed his cards at the end going forward on fourth down that they were afraid of giving washington the ball back they knew if they they punted in that situation they were going to lose and they were willing to go for it there and just give them that field position because that's that's what it was i mean and and I, I honestly can't argue with that decision. Yeah. Fucking turf monster, man. Fucking turf monster. Noah, just that slip. I mean, maybe if he doesn't slip, he maybe still doesn't get it, but that would have been monster, more fun to see. Yeah. Definitely would have been a lot more fun to see for sure. But can well, we talk that, about, go ahead. Can we talk about the big, the big decision that was before yeah. that? Yeah. Was, I, that's what I was just about to get into. Okay. As well. Because I feel like this, I feel like this was the game. Like this was the moment. And a lot of people disagreed with me that not at least taking a timeout on that fourth down to at least have the conversation about putting Bo back in mm-hmm. and whether or not it changes anything that they were going to do or like any of the play call, but at least how Washington was going to have to play it. Because when Ty Thompson came in the game, the most unfortunate part was that Washington said, fucking try and throw it. Mm-hmm. We fucking dare you. And they weren't able to do that earlier in the game with Bo Nix. So when it came down to it, it was really, they knew nothing was going to happen there. Well, and even more so than that, they knew that Ty was not going to run the ball. I mean, that's a read option, but there was no option in that. He's handing that off to Whittington 10 times out of 10. So when I watched ahead, that, about, yeah, I watched that play about 10 times. If he keeps, he's getting laid out by the safety yeah. that's on the edge. It was the absolute yeah. right read for him to give there. And it's just, uh, yeah. He would have shortened his career if he kept that ball. <laughs> if when I tell you guys, when he came in the game in that moment, I just had this, all right, this is it. Like, I know you oh did. My, oh, I was oh thinking the fuck. same thing. I was oh like, my, this is, is going to be so it, excited. man. But <laughs> they, he must be so terrible in practice because they just do not trust him to throw the football. They do well, not trust him to throw the football. What was interesting is we talked to Lanning last night, obviously, and he was asked, well, you know, why didn't you call a timeout there to get Bo back in? He said, you know, I wish I called a timeout not to get Bo in necessarily, but I wish that we could have seen what they were in and changed our play. Cause you look at the lineup, they had nine guys in the box. They were keying for a run. And if they just did a little bit of, you know, management there and called something else, I think they had a much better shot obviously than what they did, but a timeout there, you've got two of them that allows you to get Bo back in the game. It opens up the playbook. So uh, that's something where I know we're going to get more into this, but that's where something where young coaching that came back to bite him. And these are, you know, yeah. 
Those are learning moments that you got to have in your career. He's not going to be perfect. He's been a, a spectacular coach this year, Lanning has. And, you know, there was a couple aggressive calls in this game that came back to bite him. Yep. No, and that let's jump into it now. I, I, I let you guys know how I feel about this already, just the way I have it in the rundown. But I, I think, again, he's been fantastic. Dan Lanning has been fantastic. I think he's the right man for this job. I think he's got this program going in the right direction. And I was telling that even to Duck fans as we were walking out of the stadium. I was like, if before the season started, you would have said the Ducks have two losses right now, you'd all be jumping for joy. Mm-hmm. The, your expectations, your perception has changed so much from the beginning of the season. But this was a game where I think Dan Lanning and in particular Tosh Lapoy got completely outcoached. They just got, they got completely outmaneuvered. Um, that Washington team, that Washington coaching staff was playing chess and we were playing checkers. It just looked like a different game out there. And it's, it said something that the Ducks were in the position they were at the end of the game to even win it when they were being out coached as badly were because there were just some incredible plays um that noah you know bat up in the air and bassett interception i want just inject that play into my veins like that was just incredibly aggressive football and you loved i mean obviously that's Penix making a mistake but you love to see the ducks taking advantage of it so you again not taking anything away from dan lanning per se like you said he uh he was surly it sounded like at his press conference yeah. he, you can tell that the guy doesn't like to lose and i love that but as someone again I, i've never coached you know division one football or what have you but having coached before you just sometimes you get caught up in the moment sometimes and it just happens to a young coach where it just you you forget almost that you have those timeouts and you just kind of get lost in this weird flow state where you're watching the game and it's almost like an out-of-body experience so i i don't want to say that's what happened to him maybe he really thought about it and just decided not to take the time out but it sounds like you know that's what he wanted to do so i'm, I'm curious just as to why i didn't pull the trigger well he admitted last night too he's like you know i got selfish a couple of times there was some times where i thought something was there and it ended up not being so uh, he said that he'd go back. He he was asked what he learned from it, and if he would have changed anything, he said, "Oh my gosh, I would have gone back and changed so many things about this game." Um, he and I I love that he owned it, and you know said that yeah, I I learned a lot about this game and and a lot that I would change. So, um, but in the end, I don't know that I struggle to say that I would have changed a lot of his decisions. Um, yes, the timeouts, but if you go if you talk about the aggressiveness. We've been on the other side of things so much where it works out and where his fourth and one, fourth and three in their own territory, they go for it and it works out and it leads to that, you know, I think 14 play drive against UCLA that basically won them the game. Um, and that onside kick, yes, I I like the decision. I He said that he saw some things that they lined up in that were different uh, from how they prepared and they still went with it maybe uh call out of it then but i'm still fine with him doing it. And he said after the game he's like you know we've been up here talking about all this stuff when it goes the other way you know at some point you're going to talk about it when it doesn't go your way so um in the end i wouldn't change the aggressiveness but as he grows older as a coach as he gets more experience he'll learn those little intricacies of a timeout in the fourth quarter when you've got two i mean i understand not taking one when you had one left um, but you got two timeouts and you don't have your best player on the field that's begging to get back onto the field. So yeah, it's a tough situation. 
Well, and you just, you get more adjusted to those moments and things kind of slow down, you know, like we talked about as a coach, you kind of developed your own bond mode, you know, where things are moving in slow motion and you've got your, all your excess Ram in the back of your computer brain, kind of analyzing everything and then spitting out what you need to do up front. So he'll, he'll get there. And I, I, I believe in Dan Lanning. I think again, like I said, I can't say this enough. We have the right guy for the job here at Oregon. So that much ducks can take solace in, but this was just one of those games that he's going to learn from. And I'm really interested to see now how we bounce back against Utah. So as we look forward, what else, what's, and I, I like the phrasing of this question. What is Oregon working on in practice this week? What is, what is the main thing that Oregon is working on in practice this week, Shane? What do you got? I would say it's got to be just how they adjust to things even pre-snap now i know that this game was a little bit different they were using a lot more like hand signal stuff because they knew Austin was going to be so loud when they were on the field and they knew that washington was going to do a lot of pre-snappy stuff but just kind of the way that they were handing players off and when you knew it was in man coverage and the way that they were still backing up off of them it was it was just very strange the way that while adjustments were being made, it was like they were getting on their heels more and more and more. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the way that they are when they're making their reads to not be giving maybe some of these tells away. And so it's some of these guys who haven't had a, you know, I mean, there are some elder statesmen in the secondary, but then there's a lot of guys who don't have a ton of experience. And you can look at like track bridges. His experience has been somewhat limited with just how wonky the past few years of it have been kind of like with all the extracurricular stuff. So I would say that because, I mean, it's obvious now that we, we knew this is how you beat Oregon, but now there's tape. And so now that there's evidence for other teams to study on how you beat Oregon. And I think that maybe because we watched so much of just this team that it was more apparent to us than maybe some of the teams that they had faced before. I mean, I you, you'd think that with the, the linebacking core, teams would automatically be trying to stay away from them. But I mean, now it's like very apparent. I mean, I don't even know how much some players can play now. Like, I mean, with Justin Flo and like how he was kind of exposed in this game and how they kind of just uh, neutralized him completely until he made like a, a very careless mistake that didn't really affect Oregon too much. Thank God that it was already a touchdown. So the roughing the passer wasn't that big of a deal, but I mean, had that been an incomplete pass, we'd be looking at that penalty completely different in that situation or maybe if that was an interception or something like that because you know phoenix really just threw it up there so i think that the the adjustments that the defense is going to make that's going to be their their biggest biggest adjustment moving forward because i mean now it, these are two big games and these are two big wins for these two schools that we're playing if they're if they were able to do that too so they're going to be we know they were watching that game as closely as anybody else in the country all right zach same question with the ducks working on in practice this week they are trying to do everything in their power to make sure that Bo Nix is healthy and can play. Because if he does not play and can't play, they lose this game. Ten so they're just, everybody at practice is just like giving him massages. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know how you do it. I don't have that medical expertise. But if Ty Thompson starts this game, the Ducks might as well not even show up. I have zero confidence Ooh. in Ty Thompson. Spicy. I'm sorry, JD. I know you don't I like see, to hear no, it. I, but I, re, I hear what you're saying. It, it's a spicy there's take. A, you're on there's my a corner reason over why, here, though. Every time he's been on the field this year, we've seen three run plays and maybe a, an odd pass here or there that goes nowhere for, you know, negative eight yards or something. But mm -hmm. like JD said, there's 
there's something they're seeing in practice that obviously we don't get to see, but they've got no confidence in him to let him throw the ball anywhere. And I know a lot of times he's been on the field. It's been late game situation where they, you know, they want to run that clock out and they want to chew the clock. And that happened this game too. I know you, you didn't want to run the clock out, but you didn't want, you want to minimize mistakes uh, in this fourth quarter and that drive. But I just, I've seen nothing to to convince me that he can go up against a Utah team and have any amount of success. And especially with this defense looking the way they are, it's going to have to be on the offense to score points and outscore the Utes. And I've got zero confidence that can happen if, if it's not number 10 under center. I was actually kind of surprised they didn't go a little like wildcat or something mm-hmm. in that last drive. Cause they, they'd done some wildcat looks earlier in the game. And I was like, well, I mean, why not throw Ty Thompson out there, split him out left, and maybe like run him in motion or something and try and like freak the defense out and then run a very basic zone blocking, like, you know, to that, whatever that was, the right side that they that kind of exposed there in that second half with they had found some sort of matchup there. And then, but then it was just, they were able to load it up when Ty Thompson came in. So I was like, why not get funky in this situation? Like we've seen these like wildcat pitch, like flea flicker thing they did in the second, which I loved. I mean, I thought it was just a lot more creativity from Dillingham. And then Ty Thompson comes in and zero creativity. I know it's a, a huge situations with a lot of like, you know, the game's basically hanging on the balance, but I just thought that was the weird time to just get super vanilla. When we didn't talk about it yet, but the one time they really did get creative down there near the goal line, they had that weird fumbled snap, you know, and it's just obviously there's no way to say the the movement and all the shifting, everything affecting the snap. It was just a bad, well, they were bad exchange. Get that snap out. I mean, they were damn near. They were up against uh, the play clock there. Yeah. yeah, that's the biggest thing. But yeah, Zach's kind of on my corner here. I'm I'm everybody's doing yoga. We're going to cryotherapy. We're getting some <laughs> infrared sauna treatments. We're uh, we're eating good. We're making sure everybody, you know, talks to their therapist and their mental performance coaches and like feeling good mentally coming into this game. Uh, This was a this was a battle. You know what I mean? And especially to lose in the fashion that they did. It could take this. This is a game that could beat you twice if you're not careful. And so I think, you know, especially if Bo Nix isn't healthy, like you mentioned, Zach, I think that I'm not going to say it seals it, but I think that that's definitely it, it. it strengthens the case that this game versus the Huskies is a game that literally beats you twice, you know, that they just can't bounce back. So I'm just doing everything I can to get everybody on that field healthy, um, you know, getting massages. Yeah. Alex Forsyth, let's, let's get you some, some rotator cuff, whatever you need there to get your shoulder ready, big fella. But yeah, just, just giving everybody an opportunity to get healthy for sure. Well, to this point, when we talked to Lanny last night, I asked him, I mean, if he, if he had an update on Bo or Alex or Ryan Walk, and he said, you know what, I'm not going to give any updates right now, but I do feel a lot more positive now after hearing some news today than I did yesterday. So, hey, I, don't know I what saw that, that means. quote. I saw that yeah. quote on this great website, duckswire.usatoday.com. Like, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a great website. I saw that. What quote. do you know? Yeah, it's fantastic. You know? I also like that he's like, well, yeah, I'm playing the fucking coach who doesn't say anything about injuries, so I'm not going to fucking tell him anything about my team. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the rules of engagement are different this week. Yeah, no doubt. All right, we've kind of alluded to it. Is there anything else that you guys want to get to from this Washington football game on Saturday? Any last takes, anything you guys want to get out here? I'm going to save mine for, for last take because it's Ooh, more big picture stuff. I like it. Okay, all right. Um, Keep one in the chamber. One player we didn't give any flowers to yet this season, uh, Jackson Powers Johnson filled oh. in for Ryan Walk there, and then eventually uh, Forsyth 
at center later in the game. I thought he did a great job. The offensive line kind of was a little bit sluggish with him in there at first, but they were a little bit sluggish kind of out the gates in general. But uh, in the second half, they were all out there. I thought every every alignment that got in the game, but especially him who was asked to do a little bit of extra lifting. Uh, the offensive line, the running game definitely wasn't the reason why they lost this one. So no, uh, so shout out to him. It was asked to do a lot. Jack of all trades player. Well, and it, it also could be really good timing that if if Ryan Walk and Forsyth missed this game, which obviously would be really tough, but you can move JPJ to center like we saw. And then Steven Jones, who was the starting right guard for the start of the season, has been injured most of the season, but is coming back. expected to get back. I mean, we thought we might see him last week. We'll probably see him this week. Um, so I, I don't know. That could be definitely some really good timing. I'm not sure what we'll see yet, but fingers crossed that first of all, that Forsyth and Watt can play. We don't know um, how banged, they up, banged up they are, but hmm. if they can't, you know, there's all hope is not lost. Well, and Stephen Jones looks like he could play like the mountain on Game of Thrones. He's like a mountain <laughs> of a man. So, yeah, let's get that guy back out there for sure. All right, Zach, you had a quick uh, recruiting check in here for us. So uh, tell us about some of the recruits who were at this game. Yeah, it was definitely a big week uh, recruiting. Definitely a lot of recruiting flips potentially coming up. There was the five-star defensive lineman David Hicks from Texas A&M. He's been committed to Texas A&M since late September. Uh, was definitely he visited the Ducks earlier in the summer, loved him, had him in I think his top three or four before committing to AM. But the Ducks never let up on him, and uh, he came back for a visit, was said to have absolutely loved it. I think that, um, you know, the Ducks, if they don't lead that recruiting right now for a flip, they're definitely in like the top two. Um, I've heard that it's this is not a, to say that he's definitely going to be at Oregon, but it's unlikely that he's going to be at Texas A&M. So it's probably between Oregon and Oklahoma right now for him. Are the there other just guy that buzzards came, flying around the Texas A&M program yeah, right now? Just like vultures just everywhere. Yeah, coming in. Well, I love it. I mean, all those like huge recruits they landed over the past years. It's unbelievable. Yeah, they're all gone. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. All right. Sorry, Zach. I interrupted you. No, no, you're good. Uh, the other one, other. I mean, there was a ton of recruits, big recruits in this weekend, but the top two, um, the other one, five-star offensive tackle, Caden Proctor, who's the number one offensive tackle in the nation this year. Uh, he's committed to Iowa. He's a, he's from Iowa has been committed there for most of the summer, I believe, but he's had a good relationship with Adrian Klim. They've stayed in touch. He came out for a, an official visit and was said to have loved it too. So we could be on flip watch for both of these guys coming up. Um, I know that NIL is going to play a factor in both of them. I don't know how much of one, I'm not sure Oregon has the money to get both of them but probably at least one of them. But if they got Proctor as well, that would give them the number one offensive tackle in both last year and this year's recruiting cycles, which would be an amazing FU to Mario after he leaves <laughs> to get the number one lineman in the two years after he left. <laughs> That's like the most popular thing on Duck Twitter right now is any sort of Mario Cristobal slight. Um, I did see that there was a player decommitted from Georgia, a cornerback. Did you see this? Is that is that anywhere on Oregon's radar at this time? I mean, other than the fact that it's from Georgia and Lanning's connection to Georgia, maybe. Right. But I've I honestly didn't know who this kid was. I've never heard of him before. Um, you know, Oregon's probably talking to him. Lanning's probably reached out, but I I couldn't give you any information on him. He wasn't on any like or Oregon wasn't on any top. 10 or nothing like that i don't think so but there's also a, a four-star 
cornerback from LSU, Dalen Austin, who uh, he came out for, I believe, the Stanford game. He's been committed to LSU for a while now, and he was back at this game again. So he's another person that could be, you know, definitely changing his mind and flipping to Oregon soon. I saw like a lot of people worried about recruits like leaving or like, you know, being at this Oregon loss and being like, oh, whatever. I'm like, could you imagine being at that game and then not wanting to be a part of that rivalry afterwards? Like, no matter what team you're on. I was like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. They probably left like buzzing, dude. They was like, yeah. they probably went and played like two hand touch in some park after that. Well, and I talked to, so Dante Dowdle, um, four star running back that's committed to Oregon. I've been talking to his dad. Um, and I asked a few questions out because they were here at this game too. I asked them a few questions and one of them was, you know, does it matter at all for recruits that this was a loss that Oregon lost to their rival? Like what, what does that factor in to this? Maybe not for Dante because he's already committed, but for someone who's uncommitted or committed elsewhere, does that matter to see them lose? And he said, no, not at all. Like they, they came to see the coaches, they came to see the fans, the atmosphere. They want to see what, what is there around the field, not necessarily on the field. So um, people saying that, oh, this is a tough game for recruits to see. It's like, no, I think this is kind of exactly what recruits wanted to see because they think they can make this team better and they know the environment. Oh, you got holes that can come in? Yeah, let me put me in, coach. Absolutely. All right, we did mention Mario Cristobal. So Mario Cristobal watch. Miami did get a win this week uh, beating Georgia Tech. 35 wow. to 14. So, uh, so shout out to Color the Miami Hurricane, <laughs> uh, future home of Deion Sanders as the head coach. Okay, uh, let's jump into this Utah preview here. Right? Wouldn't that be crazy? Uh, <laughs> coming into the game, the Ducks ranked at 12, Utah at 10. This is a night game at Autzen Stadium, 7.30 p.m., Pac-12 after dark. Zach hates it. Shane hates it. I kind of hate it, too. I'm going to be in Portland and was really looking forward to this game like being my middle-of-the-day activity as opposed to my nighttime activity at Portland. But, you know, we'll make do. You know, sacrifices have to be made. We'll find a good bar to watch it at or something of that nature well there's but, no shortage of those yeah there, there's quite a few of those up there so i hear so it should be should be okay or maybe just in the hotel you know who knows we'll see what happens i'm looking forward to this one mainly to see you know kind of how i talked about earlier just what is men, what is the mental state of this team you know what does this first quarter look like you know does this look like a team that just went 15 rounds with tyson or does this team look like they're ready to bounce back and they're hungry and they want to get back out there and prove you know that they are the 12th ranked team in the country if not better and that last week was more of a anomaly than defining moment for this team so shane as you look at this game against the utah utes what's I mean, what's a matchup? What's a storyline? What's something that you're really looking forward to about this game? Well, let's just let's preface this whole thing with like, let's just assume that Bo Nix plays and the offensive line, I don't think is as much of a variable because like Zach said, this game, if Bo Nix doesn't play, then then I'm looking for like kitchen sink type, like, you know, approach to it where they just kind of like you know, start emptying the bag and just any idea Kenny Dillingham's ever had or like <laughs> do reverse Ted Lasso thing and run soccer plays or something. But um, <laughs> so it's assume Bo Nix does play. And I think the thing that, and I mean, I mean, Utah has some, had some, I mean, did Cam Rising, he played last week, right? Cause I saw yeah, they won by him and Tavian Thomas are back. And so they're like a hundred percent good to go. Except they're, I forget his name right now, but the number one edge rusher is out for the season. Okay. Um. So then, I mean, Operating under the assumption bonus is playing. It's going to be kind of like the trenches. Oregon has had a really good, like they've 
hung their hat on being able to impose their will with this offensive line. And I think even if it's not Forsyth, I mean, we hope that these guys play. We, we do have some guys that can plug and play, and I think they're going to be good enough. But if they're not able to do that, because even early in this game against Washington, when the running game really wasn't you know clicking yet, Bo Nix had finally shown a little bit of kryptonite where he was kind of getting happy feet and he was getting pressured in the pocket and he hadn't really gotten sacked yet. It did happen in the fourth quarter, but the things that I had said were impossible and couldn't happen basically in our last episode, all kind of started to happen there early in this game where Oregon didn't look like the, the home team almost, they looked uncomfortable in the game. And I think that that was due to them not being able to just lean on the offensive line to really do a lot of like the heavy lifting for them. So against Utah, a team that's always really been known for their ability to recruit players with a lot of size and athleticism and have been really been able to slow Oregon's run game down in the past. I think this team isn't exactly built that way. They're not as good as in years past, but they still are that team. So I think that they might have to kind of get out, do a little bit more of the RPO stuff, do a little bit more of moving the pocket around and getting Bo Nix rolling out. And even if he does play, we do know that ankle is not going to be 100%. And I mean, he, he was able to throw, make some good throws late in that game. But then also we didn't talk about that Hail Mary attempt where he left it about 10 yards short of Trey, Troy Franklin and a couple other plays where he was kind of hobbling around. And I mean, he could be good to go and it could be, you know, not a real injury. Like I said, I think he has like my leg hurts. Like I think he probably has a bruise on it because a guy put his helmet right into his leg. And before that, a 400 pound guy fell right onto his leg. So I imagine his leg kind of hurts, whether or not we want to call it a sprain, a strain, like a, a contusion or whatnot. So what they're able to kind of do to to get the offense more involved because we did see some receivers that didn't have, you know, a touchdown previous in this one, Thornton was able to kind of make a splash and uh, Chris Hudson got a little bit more involved than before. So if they can kind of keep those things going, but it really, I mean, that last game, that offense was really due to how the running game was going. So we'll, we'll see if that's going to be the same case this week. So yeah, Zach, same question to you as you look forward to this one, what's a storyline, what's a matchup, Mm -hmm. like what's the, what are you, what's the thing you're looking forward to the most? I mean, there's two ways that you can really look at this game. You can break it down X's and O's wise, and there's there's a lot that Oregon should like. There's a lot that Oregon should dislike. So they've got Cam Rising and, and Tavion Thomas, probably one of the better quarterback running back duos in the Pac-12. And you've got a defense in Eugene that's struggling to stop that right now. Um, but you know, I'm kind of more interested in the the non X's and O's storylines this year because this game isn't technically a rivalry, but man, if these players don't want to win this game just as badly as they did against Washington, just as badly as they will against Oregon State, because uh, there's a lot of guys on this team that remember very well how last year ended, and they remember those two blowout losses to Utah that absolutely tanked their season and probably had a little bit to do with Mario stepping out the door. I know he was probably one foot out the door. That probably gave him a second one, but... um yeah, I, I, and this coming off of such a, a brutal loss against Washington that you probably feel like you should have win, you should have won. Uh, like Shane said, I'm just, I'm really curious to see the fire that they come out with, or if they, if they look like a bit of a shot fighter. Um, it's just, it's, I didn't get to see practice today. I, I had an interview um, that kept me from going to that, so I didn't really get to see the vibe yet. I'm curious to see what it looks like tomorrow when I'm there. Um, but it's just, there's 
there's so many different outcomes that could take place this week. I mean, how healthy are they? That's going to play a huge factor. How bruised is their ego after this last week? That's going to play a huge factor. How vengeful are they feeling? So um, I don't know. There's, there's so many little factors into this game. I like, I was looking ahead a little bit at Tuck Chinner at corner. It's like, I don't, I have no idea how I'm going to pick this game. I don't mm-hmm. know. I could see Oregon by winning, winning by a ton. I could see him getting blown out. So um, I'm kind of dreading that segment a little bit because I'm going to have to think of something quick to say. <laughs> no, I think this is a vibes game. You know, this mm-hmm. game on Saturday, I mean, it's kind of what we're all alluding to here, but this is a big vibes game, a vibes check on this program. You know, it's you know, it's easy when you're winning. It's easy to be all in on team. It's it's easy to, you know, make blocks like Sean Dollars did when you're winning and sacrifice your body and just, you know, do everything possible for the team. When you lose, you know, some guys start making, you know, me decisions and some guys start, you know, looking in the mirror a little bit more. Some guys start looking or looking around a little bit. So I'm, I'm really curious to see if the leadership of this team is strong enough to keep everybody rowing in the same direction, to keep keep everybody doing those little things to, you know, keep those, you know, second and third string guys, you know, blocking on, you know, point after attempts and stuff like that to make sure there aren't any silly little mistakes. Just, you know, all those, all of those facets that make for a winning football program and is Oregon able to maintain those things after a really tough loss. That's one of the biggest things that I'm really looking forward to. I mean, we can talk about X's and O's. I mean, Zach's already kind of mentioned the two big players that Utah has there on the offensive side. This has been historically a bad matchup for Oregon. I mean, obviously with the two blowouts last year, especially coming off just a a really physical game. So it's, it's going to be a big, you know, you know, for lack of a better word, put your nuts on the table kind of a game, you know, and I'm, I'm curious to see if Oregon steps up to the moment. And I, I don't think we'll be able to judge completely by the first quarter, but I think it's obviously going to be a good litmus for how how well this team can bounce back. Um, I was was interested to see that they've only fell to twelfth. You know, I was I was wondering if they would fall a little bit further than that, but it was nice to see them not go completely completely off the off the board there. Um, what else? What else do you guys want to talk about as we look forward to this game on Saturday? Do you guys have anything else that you really want to talk about here? We could get a little bit into the uh, the Pac-12 championship race because I know that a lot of that's going to be yep. decided um, with both this game and USC UCLA matching up right before this game as well. Before we do that, I just want to give a quick uh, for all you Harry Potter fans there out there, uh, wands up for Travis Die. You know, just an absolutely brutal injury there, season-ending knee injury that he'll be out for, and um, wish him the best in his recovery. Do you guys think he's an NFL player? I've been told by other people that he is. I'm not sure that I see it, but you know, I think he'll try definitely. I mean, if Austin Eckler is this good in the NFL, I don't see why Travis Dyke can't be, but we'll see. I see him more of a like a Jarek McKinnon kind of player, like a third down back, like a good passing, a uh, good passing down back, somebody that can because he's good in blitz pickups. You know, he's willing to sacrifice his body. He's physical. He's a pretty good blocker, actually, for his size. And he's in got great hands. What was that in the Pac-12? He's a good. Blocker. Yeah, that that's true. That's totally true. Um, I'll be curious to, I mean, I'll, we'll be following him obviously here. Um, we're big fans of Travis Dye on the flock pod. So hopefully you heal up quickly. Yeah. Let's jump into it. We've got semi-final weekend basically here for the PAC 12. Who are you guys rooting for in USC UCLA? Who do you want to win that game? Shane UCLA, I think really, yeah. If I'm like 
yeah, my heart of hearts, I have way less animosity towards them. Uh, okay. And they, they, they had kind of a cool year. Um, I don't like I'm not a big anti chip guy. I think that when he left Oregon, I would have made the exact same move. And then he kind of like, you know, the world caught up to the way he coached. And then it was kind of a come back to earth moment for him. But I still I, I like making fun of him, but uh, I don't really I don't dislike him. But then USC, I grew a disdain for for, you know, I was born in 1990. So enough said, right? well and so i feel the same way but i i want usc to win so their hopes get even built up more oh i want them to like kind of like get built up and then come into that pac-12 championship game and just get absolutely boat raced because if you want to talk about bad defenses i mean that game could be if it's oregon usc that game could be like 55 to 52 kind of a game i changed my answer that's a good point (laughs) yeah i'm in i'm in the same exact boat i want usc to win because i want to see usc in the in the championship game i think that would be the best outcome i didn't really think about it as like implications with like the pac-12 and oregon and i just thought like (laughs) i got really narrow-minded on it and i was like if i just like you know all those other things removed but yeah, yeah yeah no and i mean even if like you know usc was to beat oregon in the pac-12 championship game i would hope that they would have a chance of leapfrogging into like the CFP or something like that. Yep. Um, let's see here. I feel like there was one other thing I wanted to say before we moved on and it just like poof and left my brain so, real quick. Yeah, go ahead, Zach. How much editing do you want to do in this podcast? <laughs> Why I just that? got some news? news that I want to tell you. Oh, breaking news. I can't, I can't say it on the podcast. I'm not going to put it out there. Oh, but it's just great. I can save it for after, or I can tell you guys right now. No, go ahead. Let's save it for after. Let's save it for after. But I love that you just like, yeah, this is perfect. This is where we need like our little paywall thing or whatever (laughs) set up. (laughs) But um, yeah, man, what was that? I had something good and now I can't remember. I hate it when that happens. Yeah, it's brutal. It's absolutely brutal. Um, Ding. Anyway. yeah, it's not there. It's not there. Oh, yeah. the fighting Jed Fishes. We didn't talk about oh. the fighting oh, Jed yeah. Fishes. Yeah. yeah, going and getting that big dub against those UCLA Bruins. I'm like secretly now an Arizona fan. I kind of am too. Yeah, like good for those guys. Good for good for uh, playing well down there in good old Tucson. So good for you, Jed Fish. Classic um, Pac-12 cannibalism. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Lord. Pac-12 after dark is back, baby. Things got weird in that game. Plus, I really like uh, what I call him, Jason Derulo. <laughs> Jaden Delora. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. All right, let's go ahead and jump into our hoops check in, our round ball coverage. Uh, let's talk about the men first. Uh, drop a tough one to the UC Irvine Anteaters, 69 to 56. Drops them out of the, the top 25. I believe they were 21st. Is that right? I think 21st, 21st, 21st. Yeah. yeah, right around there. Um, we are recording on Tuesday. It's right about a uh, two o'clock now. And uh, they play Montana State tonight at 6 p.m. Hopefully looking to get back on the winning trail and then a massive matchup on Sunday against the Houston Cougars. Um, I haven't gotten a chance to watch a whole lot of this men's team. I've kind of been, you know, box score watching and Twitter watching and things of that nature. Shane, I know you've been watching this team pretty closely. What are some of your takeaways here just from these early season games? Well, it's been kind of like an incomplete assessment because they've basically been playing eight players. And so therefore, like the the rotations get a little weird. 
And like in the last game, like Quincy Gary got in a little bit of foul trouble. Um, so then they were really playing like a seven man rotation. And it's just, it's not the amount of minutes that Infali Dante should be playing for how, for the pace of the game. And so there's all these things that go into it. And that's why I thought like the, a little bit of like the reaction from the UC Irvine loss, I thought was a little bit much. Like I went back and I really watched it and UC Irvine played a pretty flawless game for how much they were able to kind of muck things up early and then just really get out and run, making Folly Dante do all these cool things. He had the sequence where he had two like blocks off the backboard, but I mean, the pace of the game was getting so fast. And for how, like we talked about how few bodies they had, it just, it really didn't bode well. And then Oregon's just not really, they're just not really shooting the ball incredibly well for out from outside. And they're not creating a ton of quality looks either. It's, it's hard to watch a game and just them like fail to take, good shots when they have them and then trade them for bad shots. And you see a lot of that um, one player who is in the starting lineup that I just, I am having a hard time with is Rivaldo Soros, who I know Zach and I were really high on when he was coming into the program. It's like, he does 80% of things, right? It's like he does everything right up until like this moment, or he's either supposed to make the right pass or shoot the ball, or at least just get the ball to go in the cup. And it's just, it's been really hard to watch. And I don't think that Dana knows who his five best players are right now uh, with like, you know, some of the guys like Bigsby coming back, but I have like, like in Folly Dante is playing awesome, like awesome, awesome, awesome basketball. He's just having to play a little bit too many minutes. Uh, Kalel Ware has been, uh, I mean, you can, you can see the potential just like seeping out of him between his body and everything. Biddle's playing a lot better. Um, and I really like uh, Keyshawn Bartholomew and, uh, Tyrone Williams. Tyrone Williams. Yep. I think that when those two are on the floor together as the two starting guards, they have the most interchangeable qualities and you get a lot of like more creativity than you do with, with Will Richardson right now. And they're both willing to shoot. Um, They're both willing to kind of shoot themselves out of games right now. Uh, Dana Altman's kind of taking them out a couple of times for that, but it is nice when they're out there. It's kind of this run and gun. And like, if, if they get hot, they're going to put some points on the board. So it is good that Will Richardson kind of cools them off a little bit when he's out with either one of them. But uh, but when they're out there together, it, it's it's very like um, I mean, if they were the two starters, this team would be making a lot more headlines because they'd be scoring some points. I mean, they'd be giving up points, too, but <laughs> they uh, they're like, a, you know, firing like I don't know. I don't know. I need a nickname for him and I'm struggling to do it in the moment. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're telling me, Shane, is this is a classic Dana Altman team basically is what you're saying there's there's injuries there's dishevelment there's there's new rotation issues um sounds like classic dana so zach do you have some similar takeaways you know watching these first two games yeah definitely and shane brought it up to me uh talking about rivaldo soros i mean do you remember the the bill simmons whole thing like you know the 90 10 guys were 90 percent of their play is just so good and 10 percent is so bad he reminds me of like an 80 20 guy 80 mm-hmm. like of the time he's doing really good stuff i really like what i see from him but 20 percent it's like man what do you have you play are you still playing in juco like what what are you it doing is, out there it's crazy it's, just, it's tough but one of the uh i think probably my biggest takeaway from this year is just i i really wanted to see more from will richardson and we haven't seen it through these. I know it's still early. It's two games, but he's not really being aggressive and he's not really, you know, he's not looking for his own shot. And we saw that in the first game and I asked Dana after the game, I was like, is this kind of plan? Do you want him facilitating a little bit more and getting everyone else involved? And he flat out said, no, I kind of wanted to be more aggressive right now. I'm a little, little disappointed that he's not going for his own shot. So um, with that, 
mixed with the just abysmal shooting that we've seen so far. I mean, just absolute brick city. I I forget what the exact number is. I saw it after Friday calculated after friday they're shooting some like 21 percent, i think from three on the year and that honestly is better than it really is because in both games i think they've hit like their last three threes of the game in both games so it should be a, a teens uh percentage from three so um you know it's it's college basketball so early season is never going to be pretty and you kind of got to get adapted to it and i'm sure that we'll see the numbers get a little bit better but uh yeah it's a november team in eugene dana allman we trust um i hope it gets a lot better soon because like we said we've got number three houston coming to town on sunday and that could get pretty ugly if this doesn't get turned around yep as always in dana we trust anything else about this men's team before we move on shane uh well this would be a nice little segue into talking about the women's team real quick uh just piggybacking on what zach said about will richardson there's this interesting kind of juxtaposition between the point guards of the men and the women's team because they're both kind of taking this slow burn approach to the season where neither one of them are really looking for their shot all that much. Uh, Tahina Pow Pow has been like a major facilitator for a lot of the new faces, excuse me, with the women's team. But the one thing that I've noticed watching these two teams is kind of the way they're doing it. Uh, Will Richardson is like getting people involved because it seems like the last thing he wants to do in this world is to shoot the basketball. Every time he shot it, it's been like, a, oh, okay, fine, I will. And then Tahina Pow Pow has been like more enthusiastic about getting people involved and then punishing teams as soon as they start to kind of drift off of her a little bit. She's shooting to make sure that she keeps her defender honest with her at all times because when they start to back up, she's like, okay, now I'm going to go and attack the rack. And she's also getting to the free throw line. And it's one thing that has been kind of a a big difference between these two teams is just aggressiveness. And the women's team has kind of struggled at the line a little bit this year. But what I really liked is that they've just lived there. And against like Northwestern, they were getting there all the time. It's they were getting the ball inside this last game that they played against uh, Southern was it was kind of hard to take as much of that away because there was just a huge size discrepancy between the two teams and something we talked about earlier that like, it's almost like Oregon should have won by more. That game should have been completely put out early and they kind of let Southern kind of play with them because they played Southern's game and didn't just abuse the fact that they had these, you know, even having uh, Grace Van Sluten at like, what is she? Six, three, she was still would have been the tallest player on Southern's team. So they could have just went to her over and over again on the inside not to mention the size of Filipina Shea. And then they didn't have uh, uh, Basham out there, uh, some sort of leg injury with her. She's got a a knee injury that's going to keep her out for, I think, the foreseeable future. I think a few weeks to a month at least. They're hoping to get her back for Pac-12 play. Which is unfortunate because she is, she's a a little bit of a project. Uh, She's about as like, straight up and down as a human being can be um so she's like it's going to be interesting to see how she plays and how she's able to find a base because she's she's tall but she's going to be able to get pushed around but we have seen filipina shea able to kind of write that uh ship with her body too and just being able to get out and wide and not just go out and play tall because problem with being that tall is you get so used to being by far the tallest person and then you come out and when you play stanford it's going to be a learning experience unlike you know how to really get low and make sure that you're not getting shoved out of bounds every box out well and so yeah you kind of that's perfect encapsulation there for the women who are now three and oh uh shane mentioned beating seattle and southern pretty easily 
Um, they've got a game against Southern Utah coming up on Monday and then a big matchup against number 13, North Carolina on Thursday. So again, this sounds like a pretty classic Kelly Graves team where he's playing around with his rotation. He's trying to get some of those younger players minutes to get him adapted to the speed of the college game. He pretty, he does this, I feel like every year in, in these early games where it feels like they should beat him by a hundred, but he's really, he's playing with things out there. He's got, he's got his own little mind games and stuff like that, that he's working through so um zach do you have anything to add there to shane's takeaways for this women's team not really it's just kind of been interesting to see that these are such classic kelly graves and dana altman teams early on i mean altman's team struggling we know he's got a lot of new pieces to work with kelly graves has a lot of nice pieces to work with and he's you know throwing everything at the wall seeing what sticks trying to find those rotations so um i don't think that there's any major takeaways from either team this early on in the season but um you know a month from now, I think that we'll have some really good stuff to talk about. Yeah. After Thanksgiving, we'll always know more as we approach that Christmas break. I also do want to mention real quick, uh, the mother of Ducklings is making her way home, joining that coaching. Well, not the coaching staff, but Oregon's <laughs> basketball staff, the, the, the director of athletic culture, which is just fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. Whatever you can do to get her a part exactly. of the program, I'm all for it. All for it. And then uh, yeah, real ahead, quick, Shane. before we get off of the women's basketball team, a couple former Ducks that I've gotten a chance to watch this year, uh, Sydney Parrish over in Indiana and Kylie Watson at Notre Dame, both having awesome seasons so far. And uh, the whole once a duck, always a duck thing. It's cool to see them kind of thriving in those situations, especially when both of them kind of going back to their, uh, like, you know, their home team, going their home, home state. Yeah. yeah. Sydney Parrish, they had a huge win against Tennessee yesterday. And she's like the, uh, She's got a cool situation there. She comes off the bench and just kind of hunts threes. They play like that five out thing, but she is like just roving around, just catch and shoot. And I think she led all scorers off the bench yesterday. You know, there's a lot of what ifs from COVID, but this Oregon women's basketball arc over the last mm -hmm. four years is probably the most fascinating. I hope somebody writes a book on it. Zach, I don't know if you have any, uh, any uh, desire to write a book, but just, you know, the them in South Carolina being such dominant teams and missing out on the opportunity to match up. And then the next year and just some of this COVID craziness leading to some of these transfers and things of that nature. It's just, it's a, there's, it's an interesting what if right there for sure. Um, what this women's basketball team would look like right now had COVID not happened, but Let's go ahead and jump forward. I am going to relinquish my hosted duties, handing over the reins to Mr. Shane Potter, because we have Duck Generate Corner. All right. So last week, Justin and I tied for the lead, and uh, Zach came back to earth a little bit, but we all stayed over 500. So uh, hey. Justin, you and I went nine and five. Zach, you went eight and six. Overall, that brings I'm still in third, 64 and 59, but just a smidge behind Justin at 65 and 58. And Zach still holds that lead at 70 and 53. Wow. Such an impressive number. <laughs> oh, <yes. Crazy. laughs> God. You could just take all these episodes, put all together and like use it as like your resume to go be like uh, like an odds maker or something. I'm just moved down to Vegas real quick. <laughs> First game on Don't the docket. Uh, we have the Washington State Cougars. This is an interesting line. Minus four at Arizona, then under over a 63. Justin looks perplexed as a huge cloud of smoke comes out of his mouth like a dragon. <laughs> Give me the fighting Jed Fishes. That's that's up. Yeah, that, that line smells very strange. 
Um, what was the over under? 63. Under. That's a big number. Yeah, give me the under, but give me the the fighting fishes. I'm going Washington State in the under. Oh, I don't trust this Arizona team. <laughs> no, I'm, I, I, yeah. yeah. I'm with Justin, though. I'm going Zona. They're fun. They're on a roll. I like Jed Fish. I don't know. It is. <laughs> His facial expressions on the sideline fucking crack me up. <laughs> Is he he might be the Ted Lasso of the Pac-12, actually. <laughs> His consistent I don't know positive he... attitude. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, all right. Next game up here. Uh Oregon State is minus seven and a half at Arizona State with a under over of only 54. Oh, 54, really? Mm-hmm. Give me the beavers and give me the under. I think yeah, they win by the, 10. Give me the beavers and give me the over. All right. I went with Justin again on this one. So here we go, bud. Let's let's hope this, <laughs> let's hope this works out for us. Have you not learned anything yet? Yeah, I know. My law of averages, this is not good. We're just going to pad Zach's lead here. Um, yeah, I thought that under over was suspiciously low. I think Oregon State is obviously a better team. Seven and a half, that hook is kind of tough, but suspiciously low, but so suspicious that I'm going to go with the under. Uh, plus, I just feel like Oregon State and unders are like a, a nice pair. Yep, exactly. Uh, yep. This is probably the biggest don't watch of the weekend in maybe all of college sports. Oh, Stanford. No, is this the matchup. Oh, okay. This is Stanford under. getting four and a half at Cal with an under over of uh, 46 and a half points. Oh. It's like an NFL <laughs> under over. <laughs> Ew. That's like the same under over for like the Chiefs and the Jaguars. <laughs> Give me Stanford and the under. Wow, the under too, but I think that is the right call. Yeah, I'm I'm going with Zach on this one. I'm also going Stanford. I'm also going the under. I think they do just enough to to beat beat the Cal Bears. I'm going with uh, I'm going with Cal here. I think they're going to get the win. I think they're going to win by seven, maybe seven nothing. We'll see. I wouldn't. I don't think that's out of the question. On like a block Five punt. Two. <laughs> All right. Now we have maybe the most interesting, maybe tied for most interesting. Uh, USC minus one and a half at UCLA. Under over of. Let's take a take a guess. What do you think? I, I already know what it is. Seventy three. Seventy five. Oh, yeah. all right. That's close. <laughs> all right. Um. Wow, that is huge. <sighs> Give me the Trojans. Fuck it. Give me the over. Let's do it. Let's roll, baby. Let's ride. Damn it. This is not, I don't know like how this is going. I'm going the complete opposite to Shane. <laughs> I'm oh going my UCLA God. in the under. <laughs> All right, Justin. Let's buy some lottery tickets while hey, we're at it. Hey, let's go. Yeah, I'm either going to be all ball? tied next week or I'm going to be just, I'm going to have won it already. Yeah, we're going to, we're basically deciding the season right now. It is getting yeah. late. Um, yeah, I'm going USC. I think that UCLA is good when DTR is the best quarterback, and I don't think that works in this situation. This one's also fairly interesting. Colorado is getting 31 in Seattle at Washington. 31 is a lot of points. 31 is a lot of points. I'm going to I'm going to roll with my Buffaloes 
I like that. I like that's a big, big number. I think Washington, I think they still win the game, but I don't think they cover by 31. What's the over-under on that one? 64 and a half. I'll take the under. I feel like that's a good pairing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's a a thinker, isn't it? I went back and forth on this one. It's a good one. It's a, it's a good line, but it's, that's a huge number. Well, it's a great line for a trap game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Give me Washington and the over. Instantly feel worse about my picks. All right. Well, we <laughs> I all... don't feel good about that pick either, yeah. though. So, well, we all went different on this one. I went with Washington and the under. Mm. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't feel great about it either. Thread that it's... thin line. I'm glad that none of us matched up on that one, though. <laughs> uh, and now here's the one that Zach really didn't want to pick. I don't think any of us really want to pick, to be perfectly honest here. Mm-hmm. Utah plus three, Autzen Stadium, 61 and a half points. So you have to figure Vegas basically sees this as a pick 'em, and the Ducks yep. are getting three points for home field, right? Home field advantage. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does Oregon go 26 straight games at home and then lose two in a row or whatever it was, 23, 23. straight games? 23, yeah. What was the over going... 64, 61 64. and a half. No, 61, 61 and a half, 64 and a half was the last game. I'm going Oregon in the over. Yeah. That's kind of what I was leaning towards too. That's a tough one, man. That's a good over under number two. Give me the ducks, but give me the under. I think this game might stay in the twenties. Man, <laughs> yeah, I have I have Utah in the over, okay. And I picked that earlier, and I was because I didn't know how confident I was in Bo Nix's leg. The fact that Zach just picked Oregon makes me kind of second guess myself, but I'm gonna stick with my guns here. <laughs> I'm gonna stick with my guns here, and then I threw in a bonus game. Hey, we got a bonus. Uh, a couple of teams that you may or may not have watched. They've been kind of interesting in the old Big 12 that we haven't really talked about all the season. Ooh. Texas minus nine at Kansas. Under over 64. Oh. I've actually watched a strange amount of Kansas Jayhawk football this year. They have fun uniforms. And if, yeah. It's a fun team. You know, they are. It, they're they're on TV team. a lot for yeah. some reason. What was that quarterback's name before he got injured? Oh, I don't remember. He even their backup has been fun he to watch. Really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the backup's good too. But mm-hmm. I like that starter. What was the over under, Shane? Sixty four. Nine's a big number. Give me the Jayhawks. I think Texas wins, but I think I think it's the Jayhawks score like a late touchdown to make it closer. Because I mean, Texas is coming out of a tough game against TCU. Give me the under, though. Yeah, give me the Jayhawks. Give me the under. Yeah, give me Texas and give me the under. I'm going Texas in the over. I just like both their like both their offenses. Uh, mm-hmm. I like that running back for Texas might be like yeah. the best individual player in college football. I definitely yeah, yeah. There we go. On to my fantasy team next fall. He's. One I can never remember what his name is. I'm like, tabs. I'm like, it's <laughs> P Ryan. No, it sounds like <laughs> P Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and that's Doug Jenner corner. Uh oh. Bijan Robinson, yeah, Bijan, yeah. Bijan Robinson, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, 
We have made it to the end of the podcast, which if you're still here, thank you. And uh, now you get to listen to our filament takes, our hot takes, the the last takes that we have in the chamber for the day. Zach, I know you've got something that you held earlier, so I'm going to go to you first here. Let's go ahead and let's let's hear this take. So, I mean, it's to classify this as a hot take is inaccurate but it's something that i've just wanted to say to oregon fans over these past few days we need to recalibrate we i think we got a little bit over our skis and rightfully so i was kind of part of that too but um we came into this season with the idea that a trip to the pac-12 championship and the possibility of playing for a rose bowl would have been a fantastic outcome my prediction for the season was a nine and three record and maybe playing for a PAC 12 title. Um, it quickly became apparent that there was a chance we could get into the playoff. We were playing, I think better than anyone expected us to and better than we expected ourselves to. Um, and now the fact that the playoff is no longer viable, um, it's kind of felt like a lot of fans see that as the end of the season. Um, I know that losing to Washington is tough. I think that it would have been a lot easier to swallow if this loss came to UCLA or anyone else, to be completely honest. But um, I just think that there's there needs to be a lot more optimism than I'm seeing right now because there's still so much in front of this team. And I wrote a column on on Sunday that you know it it's a tough take to have and a tough thing to say, but I think it's probably a good thing we're not playing in the playoff this year. Because I think if we went to the playoff, we're getting absolutely exposed. And that defense that we saw against Washington would look even worse against an Ohio State or a Tennessee or a Georgia, which we already saw that defense against Georgia. So um, I don't really know what my my main point here is, but it's just like I there's still so much potential for this team and there's still a really good end in sight. And I know that it's tough not to be playing to see your championship dreams die and to have it happen to your your most bitter rival but um that doesn't mean that this season's over at all that doesn't mean that this game against utah is not important at all and against oregon state so um i'm still i know that a lot of fans might be tuning out now after this last loss but i think that there's there's still so much in front of this team which is like the fucking wackest thing in the world like what What is your relationship to sports if you only want to be attached to it at the highest of highs? Like, that's that's one of the craziest things that like Twitter has been kind of rough this week of just people like being like ultra down and stuff and just like singling people out and like just getting really nasty with each other all of a sudden. And it's like. We still we just like watching the team play, right? Like, I mean, it's that we we want football. I thought that like the covid year had like maybe change this for people that it's like, Oh, I just like watching this game. And I just like being at Austin stadium. And I like having that environment. Cause I mean, yeah, it sucks. Like even just rewatching that game, like at the end, when, when he slips and, you know, Washington celebrating, you know, you get that feeling in the pit of your stomach, but you get that feeling because you, you want the success part too. And it's like, it's on like a, it's on a spectrum. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, <sighs> It's ridiculous. And I, I just think that that game was so fun. And that's what makes this rivalry good. And it's better now. The rivalry is going to be the game next year is going to have so much more attached to it because of what happened this Saturday. It's not like Oregon went out there and didn't put forth an effort. Like I saw somebody say Bonix didn't even try on that Hail Mary attempt. And it's like, 
how about we don't question his motive? You know what I mean? Like, because we're not like cool with the outcome. Like he was standing there in disbelief that he just did what he did. And he didn't even move until a Washington player came up to him and eventually broke from like the moment he was in and then congratulated said Washington player. It's also cool that, you know, what happened, not what happened in the Michigan, Michigan state game after this one, you know what I mean? <laughs> that it was actually able to be like competition on the field. And then they were like able to talk with each other afterwards and like act like human beings. So remember that during all of this stuff that it's, you know, you got to kind of adjust your relationship to it. If you start to get like that, that upset about it, we're going to come after people that you've have been, you've been rallying around all year. And these like communities that we build around with each other and it shouldn't like af- affect you on that level or, you know, hopefully it doesn't, especially if you're not on the team. You know what I mean? Yeah. Put it in context. I think that's, that's, that's a, I was going to say something kind of similar to this, but I'll go a different direction for my hot take, but just to add, I know what you guys are saying. I mean, fans there in the, at the end of the game, you know, oh, this team sucks, oh, blah, 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 screaming, you know, oh, but we, we're, we're going to lose no matter what. You know, it's like I'm sitting there and it's like, what's the point in thinking you're already going to lose? You know, because if you get the outcome you want, you're just going to be shitty anyway. So if you're going to be shitty, then just be shitty. But if you're going to believe in this team, and I mean, I was still thinking on that last play, like, wow, we're about to see something magical. Like, we're about to see something special because that's the joy of sports is seeing something incredible happen right before your eyes, seeing something that you don't expect to happen. And like I told you guys at the beginning of this podcast in that text, you know, that was a great fucking football game. And just because the Ducks lost doesn't make me wish that I hadn't have gone to the game or something of that nature. So yeah, just just, just appreciate it. We have football, we have the Ducks, you know, we're two losses, we're a top 15 team in the country. Just, just appreciate what we have because we could be Colorado. You know, we could be we could be all these other teams in the Pac-12 and uh, just not have that kind of those special moments. All right. So, Shane, do you have a last hot take for us here, sir? Uh, hot take. I think when Oregon men's basketball gets healthy, I think we have a potential Pac-12 player of the year in Infolly Dante. OK, I thought you were going Ooh. like. 2021 JD hot take on a second. <laughs> oh no, no, no. I, I, I do think that we could have just like I think he could be such an individual like uh highlight on the team, and I think he could put up some sick numbers. What he's doing defensively, this is the first time that we've really got to see him like fully healthy, unleashed, no knee brace, no nothing, and out there kind of like it was it was weird watching the last game um against UC Irvine. There was moments where I was like, Oh, that was just like last year. Oh, wait, no, that was Frank Kepney. And I was like, he like, at one point he blocked a shot and he like jammed his finger on the backboard. And I was like, oh, that was like when, and I was like, oh no, that was a different guy, but he just kind of incorporated that. And I think maybe that was why Frank decided to take his talents elsewhere was he saw a little shimmer of that and was like, oh, the thing that I do, he could also do too, plus the whole other part of the game. So like, maybe I'm going to go anchor down a defense somewhere. So, I mean, I, I think that we've been really high on him for a while. And we thought that he had like, I mean, first time Justin and I watched him play, we were like, is this fucking Akeem Olajuwon? Like, what is going <laughs> on right now? And then we had to kind of step back from it a little bit. But I do think that I think this Oregon team is going to be good. I think when they figure some some stuff out and when they get more than eight guys who are able to play. And I think when that happens and he's able to kind of, like I said, adjust, play the role that he's supposed to play on this team. I think we're looking at maybe like, 17 and 11 with a couple blocks a game which i think would put him at least in that conversation yeah i I like it that's a very very good take all right um 
Checking in here just before we do hot takes here, uh, Oregon Duck Hockey is going to be on the road for the foreseeable future, but your next opportunity to see them at the Rink Exchange is going to be January 20th. Uh, shout out to them. They are ranked in the whatever their poll is called. I can't remember off the top of my head now, but they were a top 20 team in that ranking. So shout out Oregon Duck Hockey. And as per usual, my hot take, we're going to go a different direction. You guys are going to try to turn the podcast off here before I even finish. But go see Wakanda Forever. Fantastic Mm. movie. Absolutely fantastic movie. Go check that out. I was weeping like a small child within the first couple minutes. Just an absolutely great film. Uh, Shout out to everybody involved in that film. So that's all I got. You guys got anything else? No. No? All right. Good stuff, gentlemen. Um, As always, take care, yo, chicken. Take care of your mentals. We appreciate you. We love you. We out. Peace. Better job with the outro than the intro. Yeah, man. That I've <laughs> having it something like the the pock flaw. I don't even remember what I said. <laughs> that was crazy. All right, Zach, what do you got, man? What's the juice in your get. Sorry.
Shout a little bit louder now. 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 Shout a little bit louder now.